Hello and welcome to the leading conversation with me, Tom Dawson Squibb, former Blitzbot captain Kyle Brown, and today we're joined by former Proteas and Indian cricket coach Eric Simons. Eric is without doubt one of the most fascinating people I've met in sport, curious and challenging at the same time, and he does not disappoint in today's podcast. He challenges both Kyle and myself. We talk about the need or lack thereof of team meetings. We talk about honesty, whether being a nice guy, so to speak, is important in leadership. And we go into depth with his own personal mantras. This podcast is not one to be missed, and it gets better and better and better as we go through. Enjoy it. There we are, Kyle. Nice to see you again, week two. And... um I think week one went pretty well, so luckily we're back. We didn't wasn't a disaster, and um, <laughs> hopefully it was something. Hopefully it was something quite interesting, and and we're lucky to be joined by former Proteas head coach, Indian assistant coach, um, multi franchise <laughs> assistant coach in the IPL, Eric Simons. Eric, thanks so much. Um, it is really really great to be here in in all the conversations that we've had in the past. I've never walked away um, bored, and I've never walked away un- <laughs> unchallenged. So um, it's 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 great. I must recount the story. I know you've heard me say this a few times. Whenever I introduce you, um, I wrote an email. I had this newsletter, Kyle, that I, I I would send out, and you know, generally you get mails back going, "Oh, nice article, cool, thanks." And I got one yeah, I received reply. Received it a couple times. Yeah, Sorry, well, I, I didn't got, reply. I got nothing from you, but uh, <laughs> I got one reply once from Eric Simons, and he said, "I don't, <laughs> I, I don't agree with you." <laughs> and Eric actually challenged me on on a point, and it was a great challenge. And it was around sort of you know that whole cliche of the team who wants it the most will win. And Eric's point actually was, well, actually that's wrong because sometimes the team wants it yeah. so much that they go out of what they're meant to be doing. So. Ever since well, that's then. actually evolved. It's, it's actually evolved, hasn't it? Because we've had a few conversations around that now. And I think what we've got to now is identifying the difference between wanting to win, which is a good thing, and needing to win, which is a bad thing. And what's the line between the two? Because I think when in anything in life, when you need it too badly, um, you, you get yourself under pressure. I always use the example when I'm working with, with cricketers. So we're just starting this off with talking whatever the topic is. No, that's beautiful. fine, I suppose. So I, I, I always say to the guys, take this cricket ball, can you throw it through that door over there? And they said, yeah, no problem. I said, okay, but now if, if, if you miss, I'm going to cut your arm off. How does that make you feel? And suddenly they need to win. They need to get it through the door. And it, 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 a simple task becomes a very difficult task. And I think that was the point. So our conversation from the initial challenge has evolved to the difference between what, is, what it means. Because want to means creates a positive action. Need to win creates negative emotion. No, you, you're spot on. Um... I'll take you back to not the start because you played for the Proteas and you, you, you know, you were a leader in that sense. But I want to, and then you coach Western Province, and then you, uh, you became Proteas coach. Now I heard you say that you thought you probably weren't ready for the role, um, when you got it. If you were, if I were to ask you to go back, what would you need around you? to ensure that whilst you may not have been ready, you would have been more effective? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, <clears throat> I've never really thought of it from that perspective because it was, it was more about me being ready. And I don't, think, I don't think anything around me could have helped me. Well, it could have helped me, but it wouldn't have made a massive difference. It just was that I wasn't in a place where I, I really understood myself as a coach. I'd coached for two years. Um, and, and I suppose what I needed at that stage, and you know, it's one of those strange things in life. We, we, we often, 
um, don't like honesty and, and that brutal honesty. But it's actually an ap- it's a massive compliment when you have a relationship with someone who can be absolutely honest with you. And what I probably needed at the time was someone to say, Eric, you're not ready. Don't do it yet. You know, be patient. Um, let it come along. But, you know, the people I had around me were good, but they were there to, to, to not back me up, but certainly to support me as, as a head coach. But it was, it, when, I, when I reflect back, it was just me as a coach and my development as a coach and my understanding of, of my role and what I had to do that, that wasn't, wasn't up to speed. And, you know, every, every few years, I think, okay, now I'm ready. And then a few years later, I think, no, no now I'm ready. I wasn't ready then. But certainly at that point. Is one ever ready for a role? I had this conversation earlier today. Like, is one ever ready for a role in leadership? If you're going into a coaching role or a captaincy role, and if you are, how do you know you're ready? I think, I think ready. I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if you can put the word ready on it, but you know, I, was actually, I was actually having a chat to our good friend Gary Kirsten yesterday, and we were actually just talking about this very fact that it is such an evolving process that, that one of the learnings is never be static, never, never be dogmatic about the way it is. You know? and it depends on the group you're working with. It depends on, on um, what level it is. There's so many different aspects to what leadership is about. So I think not to be dogmatic about it. But one of the things that I, I have noticed with, with leaders is, good leaders and experienced leaders, is that um, somebody, somebody that, and probably, probably going back again to myself, it was, if, if you're young and not, not up, to, up to the level that you perhaps need to be, you become very um, um, fixed on the result. You become, that's, that is your measure. And, and I've worked with, with coaches that, and, and that's what I was like. It was so much about the result. And every time the result didn't go my way, I would go, I'd become a little bit erratic in terms of the way I'd perhaps go about things and what I wanted to do. And then when I've worked with a, a, a coach who I think would be more ready and would feel they are and a little more confidence, there's a little more patience and they far more focused on, focused on process. So I think when you start trusting your process, and I know, it, I know people hate cliches, but it <laughs> truly is what it's about. And what that process means is important to understand um, from yourself and from your people around you. But I think when, when you can let go, and it comes back again to that conversation of need and want, um, when, when, you, when you are able to be patient and allow the process to run its course and trust it because you know it works, I think that is probably a point when, when, you, when you are ready, when you're able to walk away from it and say, as a coach or as a leader, I did all that I can. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, that's certainly for me where I wasn't as a, as a coach in 2003. Eric, yeah. a couple times in, you know, in the last minute or two, you've mentioned the group around you and the group you're working with and the people around you. Um, and with regards to when you felt that you, know, you, you might have been ready until you were in the position, is there a certain type of group, perhaps of players that you're working with that would have, I suppose, been more... Uh, beneficial to you as a younger coach or more collaborative to you as a, a younger coach or is there a certain group or certain type of, of you know is it, a, is it a mix of young and old or is it more mature players or is it younger players that you prefer at that time um, and I think you know because so many teams have these mixtures of players and often you find a coach works so well in one group and then not with another group and you, you can't quite figure it out but I think you know I think it comes down to the blend of, of what you have yeah, it's a good point. Um, I, I've used this term, and sometimes people take it to be um, a very negative way of, of pitching it, but it's not. I, I, I completely understand the point I'm trying to make, so hopefully I can explain it properly. <laughs> but as a coach, you often need to be a chameleon. 
and what I mean by that is that you you need to understand who you're working with. So, um, if you if you're a coach of a young captain, for example, you have to be very involved, and you have to you have to lead a lot more than if you're a coach with Tony. And you can be the same person. I think that I think it's important for you as a coach to understand yourself, understand um, who you're working with, what those people are about, getting to know them. One of the things I will talk a lot about is the importance of a coach. Um, one of the things, my lessons from 2003, and it's something I'd read, but it didn't really drop with me until I started working with India, is the importance of an understanding before being understood. And, and in, in 2003, I wanted people to understand me. I came there with, a, with a, a, a dogmatic attitude towards the way this team was going to function and never actually sat down with the individuals and tried to understand who they were about. So I think that's a very important, Carl, that you, you understand who you're working with. And then as a coach, you can, you can move in and move out as you need to be. But that, that's exactly the point, I suppose, from what Thomas made, where you grow and understand that. So as a young coach, you probably needed a blend. Um, you needed someone that's, that's, that's a good leader, that someone can stand up and take it. But as you evolve, it doesn't really matter because I think then you can move in and move out as, as it needs. And I think that's very, very important. So with, I mean, you know, looking back again at sort of 2002, 2003, when uh, Graham was brought in as captain, and now you've got a young captain, you've got yourself in a position where maybe you weren't as ready as you would have liked to have been. Is there a way of creating um, an environment where, fine, we're young, but is, uh, you know, are we, are we looking at probably delegating more around or uh, decentralizing that leadership or uh, you need somebody to, to really take the bull by the horns? I have these, um, I have these, okay, specifically speaking from the coach or the leadership leader now, I have one, I have these little mantras that I, <laughs> as I learn something, I come with, okay, how can, I don't do it subconsciously, but it happens in time. And one of the things that I say these days, the less I speak, the better I coach. <laughs> and and it's, it's been a great, it, not, only t- not only from a leadership perspective, but even technically, and I don't know if we'll get into that in this conversation, because it looks like it might go all different places. <laughs> but, <laughs> but certainly, but certainly um, I needed to have listened more, um, to under- again, back to the point of understanding them. Um, and then, and then in, that engagement. You, we, we just had. We, in fact, Tom, we we've got this leading conversation that we have, and and we spoke about a team culture. And um, one of the points that I made is is okay, one of the important things of making a culture work is players and people understanding the why of a culture, the why of what you're doing it. And I think that is part of the conversation. And if you have those conversations with whoever, and you understand you understand the why, then that's important. And once you, once you do that and you create this joint vision and joint um, objectives of where you're going and how that looks and how the process looks, I think then you've, then you've, you've got a buy-in which makes life a lot easier. You don't, you don't have the answer. You don't have it all together. But um, I, I, think, I think a joint vision, a lot of communication and a lot of listening from you as a coach to hear where people are is, is very important um, in terms of having the joint vision. I think the joint vision is very important. Um, yeah, I think when you start from a position of, as a coach, this is their time. It's not your time anymore. It's your job to make them the best they can be as an individual and as a team. Then you need to know where they want to go and you want to be guiding them rather than saying, this is my time and I'm the coach and I'm going to take you. And I think if you come into that attitude, then I think you're halfway there. I don't know if that answers your question at all, if it gives you yeah. some clarity what I might think. The, the, you're chatting about buy-in now um, and, and I suppose when you – we always talk about when you begin building the foundations of the culture and you want that joint vision, you, you need buy-in from everybody. And this is going to sound like, I, I know that younger guys and listeners think this guy's being full of shit, but do you get a, <laughs> would you consider a different level of priority 
based on the maturity of the player, you know. So when you're talking about building from the, you know, the groundwork, is there, are there certain players that you, you listen just a little more to that player, even though this, oh, could, yeah. be a, this could be a 10-year journey with all of these players, yeah, you know, sure. but at that, that, that point. So, um, yeah, because when I look back, it was actually the, the, for the longest time from when I started captaining, it was always this leadership group and we used to talk about leadership group but we never forced anybody's face and there wasn't a there wasn't really a hierarchy it was everybody but there was just a certain mm. group of players that we used to disseminate the message which helped um and, and it really helped uh, sort of uh spread the load quite a lot in that leadership position but also if you had the buy-in of those four you know over the group of 20 you didn't need the whole group of 20 because you've got it after you had those those four or five bought in and they were ready to to spread that same message and they had bought in fully and then they had the people you know their groups around them that you know if they're speaking the right message that um that you 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 would get that message across from the top down anyway and i think what what i'm asking is that you know do you think it's necessary to spend as much energy on the youngest least influential player as it is for the five or six that that could actually get the job done anyway. Um, <clears throat> well, one of, one of the things that's changed a lot in my coaching and and, and is is the importance of the individual. Um, I, I think I think when when I if you go through a generational phase, you know, if I when I think of myself as a young person or a cricketer, the way I was brought up through schooling. We, we had a very much a herd mentality. You go, you go to school, you wear a blaze in a certain way, you wear a cap, you do whatever you do, and you don't question it. The modern, the modern person doesn't do that. And the modern person is far more about themselves as, as an individual. And um, I, I think it's important, it is important to spend time with an individual, regardless of what level is, just to, again, go back to the point I make about understanding him as a person and what triggers you're going to have to do with him. Because you, you, as much as your leadership group is going to set the tone and, and you know, the buy-in there at that level is very important. At the end of the day, you, you need buy-in across the board. So I think maybe developing the vision, I spend far more time with the senior guys. Um, and, and, what, what, you know, and I, have, I have worked with some incredibly difficult, uh, difficult let's, let's use a different term, um, guys with different ideas and different visions. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I do as an exercise, when I sit down with them, is I say, right, you and I don't see eye to eye on, some, on, on a few things. Let's take the table and clear it completely of anything. And the only thing we put on the table is something we both agree on. So if we both agree that this is important to the, to the success of the team, then that's part of, of what, what our buy-in is and what our culture is. And you very slowly build up four, five, six, seven things that now, okay, we have this buy-in. And I think that conversation with your senior guys, your influential guys, is very, very important. Um, but I, but I think, I think the, the, the point I'm making, you still need to t- spend some time with the juniors. You need to get understanding. If, 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 if I didn't, Graham Smith wouldn't become captain, you know, because he was a very young person um, at the time, a very young cricketer. But, he, but, but he, when you got to know him and spend some time, you realize to what extent he, was an influ- he could be an influence on the team and on the, on the environment. So he just went bypassed him. So you need to know what's down there. You need to know where guys are and how they're going to react. But um, at the end of the day, I think your, for want of a better word, your management group, your leadership group, your senior players do ultimately, in nine out of ten times, would create that culture. And then it's moving it through the team. So yeah, I think, I think you, you would spend more time with the senior guys to create it. To understand it, um, but you need buying across the board. 
So I mean, we we actually chatted last week about this. Uh, Tom, I can't remember if we chatted about it in the podcast or afterwards, but um, I think it was in the podcast. Chris and I were chatting about having conversations, just building relationships with players. And I mean, I don't make that previous comment because that's what I believe strongly is that you should only spend time on the on the leadership group. I I am. Um, it was an evolution over the ten years of playing and and being part of the leadership to understanding how exactly what you're saying is how younger guys um, think, how they operate, how they tick, um, and how you connect with them. And one of the best mm. ways of connecting them was, you know, like you said, learning what they're about. And we were lucky enough, like I said, to not have that hierarchy. So they you know there wasn't a massive gap there wasn't a massive seniority divide between people we could all relate to mm. each other quite well um, but it did it took a lot of effort as uh, as one of the the senior players to because you would have to you know identify with with the younger players on a level they and a 22 year old is going to find it very difficult to identify with a married guy with two kids yeah so there, there were always certain ways that you could identify whether it was yes keeping abreast of the latest social media trends whatever it is but there yeah. is a way you know that you can create a connection there's a topic of conversation and when you begin those conversations um, you strengthen those relationships and then when it comes game time when it comes to the match environment you can start to pick up on different uh, emotions and different feelings and the you know whether a player is ready mm-hmm. or not and so I, you know I, I like the idea of a of a leadership group I really enjoyed it because I think it that's all I had and it, it yeah. provided you know provided so much use to me over the career but um, I think it's so important to grow those relationships with the younger players and often you find like you, you were talking about somebody like Graham who's I think he was 22 when yeah, yeah, yeah. and being young doesn't mean that he can't have a massive influence on and off the field you know we've, absolutely we've so many players and if the, the problem is if you're not gonna invest with you know a little bit of time with those players and grow that relationship um you know you're not going to get the best out of them one one of the things that i it's, it's and again you know none of the stuff tom you you the most what's the right word we can use your car theoretically sound. sound yeah <laughs> educated i haven't said a word in 10 minutes no, I've I've just had <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're going to. You, no, I'm you, enjoying this. I'm Carl, enjoying Carl this. and I just wing it. We just wing it as we go along. <laughs> you actually know this stuff. But one, one of the things that, that I discovered late, late in life is the, 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 the value, Carl, of, of questions. You know, we often go this, into this conversation with younger guys and think we need to talk. But if we just go in there with 15 questions and just ask questions and from there to lead, because it is such an important thing. And, and sometimes you... You, you get to know you get to know anybody, whatever level, with in a, in a in a casual environment. But we you strategically do it. You have a cup of coffee, you have a meal together, and you just sit and ask questions, and you get to know about people. It is, you know, you you're learning you're learning when you're listening to somebody talk, and and I think that's a great time way to do it. I I, I want to so so I'm interested in this because you, like as you know, I believe questions are massively powerful. Um, I did a workshop the other day with, with with a company and the feedback i got from the workshop was i just love the questions yeah. <laughs> screw the content they're just like yeah. the your questions you know um and we all have to talk about ourselves no people do they do and it's great i i i was curious um eric if you go into a T20 environment. So for those who might not be that versus the team's going to be together for nine weeks. Yes. Versus if you're going into an environment for a test team, three years, four years, 
I'll link it to the questions. Like, would your questions differ? You know, I, I loved what you said. I've written down a lot of pearls from you here. Uh, the, the, I think you said the more I listen, the better I coach, or the less I spoke, the better <laughs> I coach. Um, yeah. Does that differ when you go into the T20? I'm, this team exists for for six weeks, like in the MSL, versus if you're with a longer, what, what would change for you? And, and maybe you can indicate that via a story, something that you've actually experienced or done that worked or didn't work. Um. It, it it doesn't change Look, the way in what you can achieve does does differ a lot but okay so the IPL system is what happens is you have an auction in in year one and then as a squad you basically together for three years um, but you could together for three years for two months per year and as you you know there's a lot at stake in these in this competition so you don't have the time to create cultures and create things and create uh, so you have to accept that you're going to be together for two months and one of the another one of my little mantras is um, the importance in coaching r- rather to influence and instruct, because with an instruction, um, when 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 the instructor is taken away, the action changes. When you influence and you're taken away, then that continues, and that's what I've tried to I've tried to do that within the IPL. So I've, I've go back to the question to influence somebody. I need to I need to know them. I need to understand them. And again, so I need I need to sit with uh, Deepak Jahar and, um, and and talk to him and understand who he's about. Shardul Takur, who's a young Indian cricketer, and, and really understand him, what drives him, what motivates him as an individual. Um, and then for him to again understand my coaching methods and what I do, because if 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 he if he's doing something because he understands why we're doing it, then he's going to influence and he's going to he's going to carry that through the the ten months he's not with us, and he comes back next time he's going to be at Bolton. If it's purely an instruction, it won't be the case. So 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 I'm a I'm a young coach going into the IPL, and I like what I'm hearing. Give me two questions that you've asked players that have helped you create uh, a good relationship which has then allowed you to influence i think it's always important to understand somebody's um what what is their big picture what what are they why are they doing this what do they want to achieve and and again this has been a great lesson for me because if you ask an australian or a south african that question they're very happy to tell you that they want to be the best in the world but if you're working with a Sri Lankan or an Indian, they would be a little more reserved in terms of the way they'd express it because they wouldn't want to maybe sound arrogant in the way. That they, so again, it's part of knowing who they are as a person and what their language means and, and, and then one can move with them. But I think understanding that, understanding strengths and weaknesses. Strength and weaknesses normally takes, you can normally ask those questions later on in a relationship. You know, what do you need to work on? What are the areas that you, you know, um, or, or, you know, if you focus, a lot of people now talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, focusing more on strengths and weaknesses and this building your strength. But um, I think understanding who they are and what they're about, um, you, you also need to understand, I, I believe it's important to understand, um, like a lot of people talk about, cr- cricketers or, or, or sportsmen talk about wanting honesty from the coaches. And, and what are those areas of this individual that 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 will that will take him away from who you are and what you're about. That'll stop the influencing and, and dis, dishonesty in communication or or lack of trust and all these things. When you understand, when you learn and understand, asking the questions that lead to those communications, I think are good things. But I think, I think it's it starts with um, with understanding what is your vision, why are you here, who are you doing this for, what is what drives you, um, and then you, and then and then leading on to what are the things you need to work on. Yeah. 
No, th- thanks for sharing that. I mean, it's a it's an interesting one. I, I feel like I made an error the other day. So so I, I'm coaching a rugby team, and um, <laughs> I mean, I suppose you can ask, well, am I ready? Probably not. Um, but I'm coaching a rugby team, and I'm finding it massively, massively inspiring, enjoyable, challenging, everything. Yeah. And I gave some pretty direct feedback to a player fairly recently because he's asked for honesty, and I thought, honesty is the right thing and after i did it you know you, you sort of reflect on it and actually thought like i'm not sure that landed so he's asked yeah. for honesty i've read in books i've experienced it we've always talked about honesty but i don't think that's landed at all and and i've been thinking about it and i read something recently that like you can only be truly honest once you've developed a relationship mm. it's difficult to give direct feedback until you've developed some trusting relationship. So you've got to be careful as a young coach coming in or a young leader coming in and you think, right, I've got the answers, I want to go. Because if you haven't developed a relationship, then it's just, what did you say? Uh, I'm just trying to get them to understand before, and I forget the actual yeah. term you use. So being understood. I'm wondering if either of you have in the guise of honesty and transparency because that's what we want to build relationships got it wrong or had it given to you as a player eric and carl where you actually felt okay that was honest but that hasn't helped that's actually Mm. broken this relationship more for me um okay from my perspective one one of the things i think it's changed in in and again i'm going back to the point i made about people being more individuals now than they used to be is is um is I, I think honest feedback used to take place often within the team environment. I don't think it works anymore. So I think the first thing is people respect privacy in terms of those honest conversations. Um, and and I, you know, there, there's, a, there's, the old, there's the old saying about a, as a leader, you need to make deposits before you can make withdrawals. And you can't have your account in, 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 in the red and then you want to still go and make some more withdrawals. You have to have built, built up a lot of deposits with the person to be in a situation where you can. And you can read the individual. You can read when that I want honesty is just a, is just a figure of speech rather than, than, than something that they really want. Um, but I think what is important um, is, is let's say, for example, you end up dropping somebody. That, that conversation mustn't be a complete shock to them. In other words, it, it, the conversations have to be have to be honest enough that um, – they, they, know, they know what your concerns were, they know what the issues were, they know what they needed to do as opposed to coming out of the blue. So I, th- I think if you, if you understand that in terms of what conversations are taking place, then, then I think you, you, you'll cover it. But yeah, I, I think one's got to be, one, one, you need a lot of emotional intelligence <laughs> as a coach. Um, in fact, you probably need a psychology degree. Yeah, absolutely. No, you do. Very, very I mean, I think, I think that's the thing. And I think, you know, you, you said it right at the start. And I always like to trust my guts because you, you spoke about, are you ready? It's when your emotions don't get the better of you. So when something can go wrong and you don't react straight away. And immediately that triggered me because I was like, I definitely let my emotions get the better of me in the last eight months without a shadow of a doubt. So probably not ready, inverted commas, but... Now that I've been third, I'll be I'll be better off for it. Carl, did you did you? I mean, you've just finished playing. Did you get any <laughs> feedback that was pretty confronting? One second, quickly. I just wanted to check with you. What made you feel like your feedback to the player didn't land? Yeah, good question. Good I, question. Yeah, great question. I I feel Carl that I'd given similar feedback before and had very little. Um, response in behavior 
to him feel, to that specific player to that specific player i feel that i didn't do it in absolute private it was uh, other people around very important um yeah. and, and i think that was a, that was an error in itself I, I i pre and post justified it around I wanted someone else to hear so that it was out in the open. You know, Rassi Erasmus talks about everything is open. He doesn't do one-on-ones. Everything is open. now. So maybe there was a little bit of that that got into my mind. But I'm not, I, I'm not sure it landed. Having said that, now that you ask me that question, I'm not sure I've got full data to know that it didn't land. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just I didn't feel great about it, and if I were to reflect and put a, a lens on it as a as a coach, advising a coach, I would have said I might have looked at it. I might have said you didn't do that well, but I did it from a place of authenticity, and I, I thought at the time it was the right thing to do. But you, I mean, you say authenticity, but it feels like you did a, quite a couple of things that were out of the ordinary for you. You know, like you did in front of people and you know that you should have spoken to somebody in private, especially when it's a sensitive conversation. Then you start listening to things that other coaches are doing. Is that authentic to you or is it authentic to Rassi? Yeah, um, I think, I think um, one of my work-ons is to not just be the performance coach, nice guy, Tom's cool to have around. And to be someone who can be direct and real and to the point. Um, because I feel that that's not just going to get the best out of me, but it's going to get the best out of other people. Um, and I think it can't, I think if you step into that head coach's role, you can't always just be the nice guy. Um, so I felt that being absolutely transparent with this person, having known that that's something that they value, I, I have that bit of yeah. data, I knew that. I felt it was the right thing to do. So I don't think it was a disaster, but there was something in my gut afterwards that just told me that perhaps I could have, and to use Eric's language here, perhaps instead of just going out the blocks, I could have asked a way more incisive question around, so if I looked at your behaviors over the last month when you weren't picked, what behaviors are you proud of? What behaviors are you not proud of? Or something like that. Asking Mm. that question might have produced a way better conversation, which might have moved me from instructor influence. The, the one I, thing, I, sorry, you go for it, Eric. No, no I just, I'd like to just ask a question. What, what does it mean? What does nice guy mean? <laughs> what does nice guy mean? Yeah, you said, I don't want to be, you can't just be the nice guy. What does that mean? I think you can as an assistant coach in any system. No, no, I'm asking, the, I'm asking a definition. What, is, what does it mean as a uh, nice guy? What does that mean? Yeah, I I, mean, I, I, get, I I just think a nice guy is the guy that is, is, tries to be liked all the time. So you will act in a way that will get you liked. Okay, but but um, but okay. So my, my point, I suppose, I'm. And I think to a is, lot of people do that. Yeah. Okay, but so so, are you not being a nice guy if you just give honest feedback? That that's always my justification for honest feedback. I'll be honest with you. When people don't like what I'm saying, I said, but I'm being honest with you. Yeah, it's, you it's do a, not it's want a, that. It, yeah, see, it, it, it's it's a term that it's a term that I, I, I so dislike because it's it, it's like it, unless you stand up and scream and shout and then you're the hard you're the hard man, then then you're a tough you're a tough head coach. No, that's that's you know. But if you don't, then you're not the nice guy. But if you if you take a guy in his room and you can move him with a quiet conversation, 
and you being the you being the, you, you you being the tough guy in terms of the definition. I I completely agree, Carl. I just I just think it's a term that's that's misunderstood. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, I think I've seen this I've seen this happen before in a system that I've worked with where you, it's it's also like a pre frame or pre contract is worth a thousand post contracts. So if we say right in this environment, we've come to an agreement that we are going to be honest. When we're honest, we're going to do it in private. I walk up to you, Eric, and I say. Eric, I saw you do this in the nets today. Um, in the spirit of, let's say we call it transparency in one system that I've worked at, we called it see something, say something. So we would say in the spirit of see something, say something, I want to say X to you, Eric. Um, yeah. And then it's been received really well because it's been framed and, 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 it's and the relationship, yeah. it's context and the relationships are in place. I think if yeah. you shoot from the hip and you come in as a new coach, and, and this is glorified, in my opinion, guys. This is glorified by documentaries and TV shows. The new coach comes in and he or she says it as it is. And people go, oh, brilliant. You know, we must hire Eric yeah. Simons because he's a guy who says it as it is. Well, says it as it is. Like, is that really useful? Yeah. I'm not sure. And, and it comes, sorry, Carl, I'll let you go now with your question. No, I interrupted you. So, so it comes back to the same point I was making earlier about, about and again, I don't, I don't want to use the negative connotation of it, a coach being a chameleon, because there are times when, when you need to, but, but you need to do it in a controlled situation where you, where, you, where you don't lose your emotion, but you, so you do need to stick your finger up someone's nose sometime and, 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 and give them a harder truth, a little raised voice, a little, a little more aggressive voice, but the, but but it must be done from a control perspective, and, and again, understanding what the person needs, because our job's to move people, and that's what it's about, you know. And some people are moved with a very quiet conversation, arm over the shoulder, and others are finger up the nose. So, but I, I don't like the term "nice guy." No, and I, I think, and you know, I and I appreciate that challenge. I knew he was going to challenge me again. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I I love that. Um, I think it was Gary Kirsten that said this to me. Uh, or to a lot of people that when you're talking when you when you're leading and you're talking to a player are you saying what you want to say or what they need to hear and i and i've always remembered that because and it's hard to regulate but it's an important question to self-regulate as as the coach to think to myself like is this what they need to hear or is this just me letting yeah. on steam so it goes to what you said eric about yeah. emotion i want to i want to steer this conversation because we don't have infinite amount of time even though i'm loving it i want to yeah. just steer it somewhere that, that eric we've chatted about or quite recently you started to talk about it so there was some chat at chennai super kings uh in the ipl which is where you are our bowling coach the captain is Mahindra Singh Dhoni, one of the most successful leaders players in the world ever that the Chennai Super Kings don't do team meetings. Now, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's wholly true, but I know that the other guy on this call, Kyle Brown, who captained the Blitzbox for six years, Kyle, am I right? And Sorry, won the, I- right. the IRB trophy. Well, yeah, I should know that. Do your research. <laughs> um, he sat in a lot of team meetings. So tell me... Eric, what from you as bowling coach or even head coach, where where do team meetings work? Where do they not work? Why do you do what you do at, at Chennai? Okay, so um, okay, go back to a point I raised earlier about 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 the herd mentality as opposed to the individual mentality. And and cricket is a different sport. It is a team sport played by individuals. That's often spoken about. I don't think I, I don't think maybe the kicker 
in rugby has that situation where he's so under focus as an individual and the consequence affects the team. Whereas cricket is a lot different. So as a batsman, you're out there, you're alone. Once you spoke to your partner, you face the ball. When you're a bowler, you take the ball, you have to bowl it. When the catch comes, you have to take it. So that's, it's important, again, how imp- the importance of the individual in the cricket team is something that one has to understand. That's, that's my domain where I, where I play in. So let's understand from that. So, so have we moved away from team meetings? Yes, we've moved away from team meetings. But have we moved away from meetings? No, we haven't. So instead of having bowlers meetings, I have a bowler meeting. So I would sit with each guy and we would talk about his plan. So you, yes, you tend to sit with six guys or whatever it is and everyone just nods and, and, uh, and does whatever. But, but have you touched them and have you affected them? So uh, we can go to the whole technical, tactical way that we go about building a strategy um, from a bowling perspective um, in particular. But it, it, for me, it's about the bowler understanding his game, his style, what his tactics are going to be and to go out there and be able to deliver it. But we can go into that in more detail if you wanted, if we have time, but we might not. MS Dhoni will give you the opportunity to tell you what he wants to do. And then he has to trust you. But if, if you, if, you know, in other words, he understands what's going on behind the scenes. But I, do, I think what the point being that to have a big bowlers meeting or a big team meeting, I think, I think people have moved away from that. And, and so that's what we don't have. So we'll have a literally a two minutes and sometimes Steve Fleming our, is our head coach. So what'll happen is, before the team's going to leave for the ground, if he feels something needs to be said, and an IPL squad or group is a big group, and he might say, announce the 11 and the 11 stay behind, and he might, he might talk for five or 10 minutes and then move on. Other times, we'll just announce the 11 and we'll move. So maybe we have moved away from the conventions and we don't have endless team meetings, but we do have, we have meetings, but it's individuals rather than, than a group of players. Carl, did you want to come in, or are you, yeah. you happy no, to no, sit there? It's, uh, it's interesting. Like I, I feel like there's a difference in the sports. Um, it is. I'm trying to think of in rugby. I just feel like there's there's quite a quite a quite a lot of integration between the players and the need for one player to understand mm. the next player's job and the previous player's job and um, probably a lot more collaboration on the field. And and you know, like you said at the beginning, cricket is a team sport played by individuals. Um, I mean, it all has its effect. We, I think that the biggest benefit of team meetings that we had, like you said, we sit in them a lot and my limited little bit of coaching didn't have too many team meetings, but I would have liked more because I, you know, I was, I was a bit new to it. I wanted, and for me, it was all about getting players on the same page. Um, yeah, but I think that when you were talking about, you know, have a, a, a meeting with six bowlers and three of them end up nodding. It happens so often. How many times, you know, we spoke about this in this meeting, but nobody actually heard anything. And which, yeah. which at the moment you said that, and I'm thinking, I like team meetings, but now I have to start questioning their effectiveness. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, George Bernard Shaw. He said, the greatest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. <laughs> if, but, I, but, but, if I've ran for every, guy, every coach that I've heard in a, in a press conference go, as a team, we've spoken about dot, dot, dot. Yes. And I'm like, no, yeah. as a team, you spoke to the team about that. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. Sorry, Eric, you wanted to say something there. I interrupted. No, one of the great lessons I, I got from, from somebody around the communication, Carl, was, was, um, was that if, if I have a meeting and I'm talking to the guys and they walk out the meeting and he stops each one and says, what did Eric say? They must be able to deliver to him the message I gave. And it's challenged me to make sure that there's, 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 there's clarity in that. And the other, the other mantra I have is 
I think we spoke about it, Tommy, is good communication is not what you say, it's what's heard. Mm. And I think it's very important to understand that because you can have tons of information, but if, you, if only one thing's going to land, then only say one thing. You know, what is the most important thing that you want to land? And, and those have been very good lessons for me to... to um, and, and again, uh, I, I, could, I could do a whole podcast on, on the effect of, of, of the privilege of coaching out of my culture of going to India. And um, because there's, there's also a communication barrier. So the, the, the level of communication is so much clearer and, so, 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 and, and it's a different way of being received. But I've learned so much in terms of what communication is about just for the fact that I'm living outside of my culture from that perspective. It's been a great privilege. And I think that a lot of the, a lot of the lessons I've got is because of that. Eric, when you, when you talk about communicating to players and, you know, it's, I absolutely love that it's not what you say, it's what's heard. Um, is there a way that you would focus on what you're saying to keep it as concise and simple as possible because you might feel that that's the best way that it will be heard? Or do you adapt and adjust your message and possibly emphasize it in a couple different ways that it might hit more targets that way? Well, I think that's, that's what's important about, again, you made the point about our sport being different. So the fact that we're now having individual meetings, so I can give, a same, I can give the same message to a different person in different, different ways, way, but the message yeah. has been the same. And the other thing, the other thing that's, that's Tom, we spoke about that book the other day, um, Atomic Habits, mm. is, 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 is to, to make, because what we're doing is creating a lot of habits, and, and it is slow gain. So I think, I think once you've got the plan, repetition is a good thing. You know, in other words, there's consistency that message, you know, maybe phrased in different ways, but consistency in terms of building a habit in, within a person, I think that's another way of doing it. But I think the way that you would do it would be different. And I, and I think, um, I, I, I'm actually trying to think of it, you know, going back to what a team meeting used to be about when we had the bowlers meetings more than that, Carl, and, and the challenge that you faced in a rugby environment, because I, I actually had the privilege with, with Tom of sitting, having lunch with the Stormer guys, and even that, that period of time to learn and understand the intricacies, intricacies of rugby was fascinating and how it all comes together and, yeah. you know, um, in game plans, etc. So it, it is more complicated. But um, I think, so to answer your question directly, Carl, consistency of message may be couched in different ways, but that it still has the same, you have that same message unless you want to move away from it. But I, I think it's, I think, I don't think the message is always landing and sometimes you need it to be, to be done a f- three or four times before people really do get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, Carl. Every time I speak to Eric, I'm like, okay, I want more. So you've mentioned, <laughs> you've mentioned I can do another podcast. So unfortunately, you've just you got yourself invited back, Eric. If you'll have you come back later. Um, so Tom, we'll I, have to do a, a part two on collaborative leadership. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whilst the plan was collaborative leadership, um, I mean, there's just so much around how you devise strategies um, with your with your bowlers, and there's so much that we could get out of you. And I think the plan is on this podcast not just to have a guest once and then we never hear from him again. It's actually develop it because if the rapport is good in the conversation, I think it's good to listen to. So I, I found this massively interesting. We are going to have to ask you the final question, which we're going to ask everyone on the podcast, um, which is you've got 60 seconds to give the presentation of your life. What would be in that presentation? Oh, wow. Uh, 60 seconds and not of your life in terms of about Eric Simons but like no, I understand. You've, got to, you've got to shoot the lights out 
Um, Tom, Tom, he's a little smarter than Chris. Huh? Yeah, let's <laughs> explain the question to last week's guest, Chris. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Is Chris going to be listening? I'm, I'm listening to a lot of Chris and I'm listening to this one. Mm, 60 seconds. Now oh, that sure focuses the mind. Oh, good question. Um, you know, I ask a similar question of parents, of teachers, of coaches that I deal with. Um, if they had a tablet that could give their child just one thing in life, what would that be? And my experience through my playing years, um, my coaching, and the privilege of meeting some very successful people in all walks of life, it led me to a place where if I had a tablet like that, I would have given my child a very healthy self-esteem. And uh, the reason that I say that is that I've met people who are driven to succeed through um, a lack of self-esteem, if you like. But success in itself is not what gives them the peace. I have met a lot of people who are able to deal and find peace with success and with failure, a sense of contentment when they have a very healthy self-esteem to put things in perspective. And it's also helped them along the journey to, to deal with pressures because they aren't defined by successes or by failures. And when I talk about self-esteem in this situation, I'm talking about the very core of who they are as people. When you deal back the layers of, of the tags and the, and the labels and, and the successes and the failures, if you've got a self, healthy self-esteem at the very core of who you are as a person, I think that's a wonderful thing in life. And that is about knowing who you are as a person, understanding what self-esteem means, understanding what you are without your, your labels and your tags and your successes and failures. I'm not sure 60 seconds would be enough, but um, can't, can't I do three or four of these, these, these 60 seconds? <laughs> well, you've already got an invite back to do the podcast for a second time. So, maybe so you'll ask me that next time again. Okay, so the first one's going to be about know yourself. Get to know yourself and understand yourself and... And uh, I, th I think that's been my journey. And, and again, I've touched on India a few times, but I think that's made me a better leader, a better coach, because it's, it's, made, it's, made me, it's made me lose my being dogmatic about stuff. It's mm. made, me be made me curious and inquire mm. a lot more and, and ask questions of, of people that can influence me with, without um, agendas or, or wanting my view to be confirmed. I... I I think this is the way it is, and I think strongly about it, but please convince me that I'm wrong to be able to go in with that kind of attitude. So I think learning to understand myself better has, has been an important part of my journey as a coach. Mm. So that would be my first one, I think. <laughs> I look forward. I'd like to be there for that 60 seconds. Eric, thanks. Carl, any closing, any closing thoughts or reflections? I've got a notepad of things here. Yeah, man, this was... Uh... Uh, I didn't really know where this was going at the beginning or, or what to expect, but this was fantastic, Eric. Thank you so much for your time. That, Likewise, um, man. It was great fun. We've got a lot to unpack here and a lot to chat about, and I would, would really love a second episode with you at some point. That'd be great. Let's keep it con These conversations are fantastic. As we said right at the start, I think there's no answer. It's really about, about growing and learning and finding different solutions as we go, and that's what's so exciting about any, any coaching, leadership, or whatever. It's, it's such, a, such a great journey. No, thank you, Eric. Thanks very much on my side as well. I think um, yeah, the word that's coming across from me is is um, 
is curiosity. You know, I just, I love your, whilst you've got answers and you've got mentors and you've got thoughts, you maintain this curiosity around, around the space of leading and coaching and it's just infectious. So thanks very much for your time in, in lockdown and, and chatting. And um, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is without a doubt, just the first episode of Eric Simon. So thank you. <laughs> thanks very much. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Cheers. Carl. Great, man. Thanks for the invite to be honest. Cheers, thanks, guys. Eric. Too.